You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at winsboro.church. Good morning again. If y'all would join me, I would love to start this lesson off with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to hear from you, our Creator, our God, our Savior. Father, this morning I pray a special prayer, asking that you will give us open hearts. And Father, if we have a heart of stone, I pray that you will remove it and give us a heart of flesh to, to open up our hearts and our, our lives to those around us. Father, to share in all the glory that you have given us. We love you. We thank you so much for Jesus and your Holy Spirit. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Today is a difficult sermon. It's a difficult one for me to preach. It's difficult for us to hear. However, I think the most difficult part about this sermon is whether or not we actually live it when we leave. As hard as it will be for me to say some of the things that I have to say this morning, and for even me as well as you to hear some of the things that we read and and share in this morning, the hardest thing will be whether or not we actually live it. I've heard it said many times by, by preachers, you know, that they're preaching to themselves, and I can assure you that this morning, that is the case. I am preaching to myself here. So if you feel like your toes are getting stepped on, just know that mine have been crushed as I've been preparing this lesson, so... To begin, I would love to read a portion of a book that I read uh, recently. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's by a person named uh, Dr. Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield. Now this person is actually a former leader in the LGBTQ rights movement. Now, she is a Christian. And through Christian hospitality, she has come to know who Christ is. And she is a faithful mother of many children, and in fact, the wife of a minister. And Rosaria has a special, special story about how big tables, about how Christian hospitality took her out of a life of darkness and brought her to Christ. And if you would indulge me, I would love to allow Rosaria to share with you this morning just how she felt. July 1997, Syracuse, New York. Going to dinner at the home of Christians was not high on my list of longed-for activities. As an out lesbian feminist, a leader in LGBTQ rights, the recent co-author of the first domestic partnership policy at Syracuse University, and soon-to-be tenured radical, my heart's desire was not to become friends with the enemy. Christians seemed like a small-minded, uncharitable, immoral bunch. They ate meat, believed in corporal punishment, violated human and environmental rights at a fevered pitch, denied a woman's right to choose, and believed that the whole world should fall under the totalitarian obedience to the Bible. They believed in the manufactured superstitions about sin, which I believed, as Freud declared, simply a cultural phobia deeply held by dupes whose thinking was manipulated by a universal 
obsessional neurosis. But mostly Christians just scared me to death. Our worldviews and the moral lens that we used to make sense of things were incommensurable, unbridgeable. But there I was in their driveway, parked, parking my red Isuzu Amigo truck, decorated with my NARAL, National Abortion Rights Action League, bumper sticker, and lesbian Labrys decal. I sat in my truck in the driveway of this Christian home, musing about the book I was writing on the religious right and their policies, practices, and narratives of hatred against people like me. And how, in God's green earth, did I get here? Parked in the driveway of the enemy, you might ask? The nice Christians who invited me to dinner intrigued me. The preacher, Ken Smith, wrote to me regarding an op-ed I had published in the Syracuse Post-Standard. In it, I opposed the Christian men's movement, Promise Keepers, for their backward and misogynistic gender politics and their threat against democracy. I have always read all of my hate mail, call me a masochist, and I come to the conclusion that Ken's letter of opposition was the kindest one I had ever received. I also like the fact that Ken had the right pedigree to help me with my research. My motives were clear. Surely this would be good, good for my research. I considered Ken Smith my potential unpaid research assistant. I wanted to learn why Christians hated me so, but maintain with integrity my point of view. The, spro- the prospect of being with them made me sick to my stomach. I breathed hard and hoisted myself out of my truck, nursing a tender hamstring from my morning run. I waded through the unusually thick July humidity to the front door, and I knocked. The threshold to their life was like none other. The threshold to their life brought me to the foot of the cross. Nothing about that night unfolded according to my confident script. Nothing happened in the way I expected. Not that night or the years after or the hundreds of meals or the long nights of psalm singing and prayer as other believers from the church and university walked through the door of this house as if no door was there. Nothing prepared me for this openness and truth. Nothing prepared me for the unstoppable gospel and for the love of Jesus made manifest by the daily practices of hospitality undertaken in this one simple Christian home. This Christian home became my two-year refuge and way station. Long before I walked through the doors of the church, the Smith home was the place where I wrestled with the Bible, with the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, and eventually came face-to-face with him on the glittering knife's edge of my choice sin. What an incredible story. An incredible story of a woman who, by all accounts, would be considered an enemy. She considered Christians her enemy. And I share that with you this morning to give you some hope. To give you hope of how you, through using what you have, can share with others and honor them in such a way that they experience the love of God 
and maybe, just maybe, they'll come to know Christ. Last week, we defined what it meant to be hospitable. We defined Christian hospitality, and we said that it was this. When you seek to honor someone with what you have so they experience the love of God. And I'd like it this morning if we could just say that together in hopes to get this in our heads and and let it sink in. So if you would, let's say that together. When you seek to honor someone with what you have so they experience the love of God. That's good. Let's say it one more time. When you seek to honor someone with what you have so they experience the love of God. I believe as disciples of Jesus Christ, this right here is of utmost importance. This right here is how we take people from being strangers. We make them into neighbors, and we make neighbors into family. This week, we are going to look at three commands. Three commands given to us in Scripture that the first one, I'll be honest, is very difficult. The second, however, is very difficult. The third is very difficult. Let's start with the first one. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, as Jesus is sitting and disputing with religious leaders, he's approached. Starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up, to, came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Let me pause for a second. He's talking about the entire law. The Jewish people, the people of Israel, God's people who God gave his law to. He's saying in all those hundreds of of things that God has commanded, Jesus, what is the most important? Here's what Jesus says. Verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus threw a little extra one in there for us for free. It says the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all the hundreds? If you had to pick one, what's the greatest? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is very difficult. This command is very difficult. I can love my friends pretty close to how I love myself. I can love my family, loved ones. But I'll be honest. I think I might love myself a little too much to love my neighbor in the same way. If it's me, 
and I get to choose where I'm eating. Ooh, let's go get some steak. We're going to go over there to Texas Roadhouse. But if you're asking me to pay for my neighbor's meal, ah, I got some rice. I don't know. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. The same way you love yourself, love those around you. That's very difficult. Next, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. This here is where God is giving that law we mentioned earlier, those commands. And amongst the long list of commands, he says this, starting in verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Let's stop. God, you're telling me I I shouldn't do wrong to him? I shouldn't treat that person poorly? You realize who these people are, right God? They're foreigners. These are people who come proclaiming other gods, and you want me to treat them how? God says don't mistreat them. He doesn't stop there. We go on, verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I imagine what the people of Israel might be thinking in that moment. As they hear these words read to them from God, I imagine them standing there and saying, similar to what I would probably say here and now. So, okay, God, so you're saying that you want me to treat these strangers well? God says, yes. You say, you say to love your stranger, God, and so you really just mean that I'm, I'm, I'm just not supposed to hate them, right? God says, no. I want you to love them as yourself. For you too were once strangers in a foreign land. As Christians, we are called to love strangers. People that we don't know. People that come with a whole lot of baggage that might scare us. And dare I say at times, people who might even seem dangerous to us. What we're called to do is to love them as ourselves. That is a very difficult command. Finally, we have a very difficult command. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and what we often call as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is gathered with a group of his followers, and he's begun teaching them and preaching. Starting in verse 27, Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Let's stop for a second. Is that pretty clear? Just stopping right there, is, is, that, is that pretty clear? I, uh, 
If it's not, Jesus goes on. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. We ought to take a moment here, I think, and just acknowledge that we have enemies. We don't call them that, sure. (laughs) I hope you don't sit at home and think, ah, my enemy, my arch nemesis, right? But we all have enemies. I have enemies. You have enemies. Enemies are essentially just people that oppose you. They oppose the way you think. They oppose how you live. They're in opposition to you. That is our enemies. We all have enemies, but Jesus has some very strong words at how our heart ought to be directed towards them. Jesus has some very difficult words as to how we should be treating those, whoever they might be. You love your neighbor, and that neighbor might even be your enemy. To be clear, this is where the love your neighbor command becomes very real. Jesus, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor might be your enemy. It might be the person, the person who doesn't agree with your way of life, your way of thinking. Now more than ever, we are in a bit of turmoil because of this right here. And Jesus says you love your neighbor not because they agree with you. No, because they're yours. And you love your neighbor not because they love you back, but because they're yours. You love your neighbor even when they don't consider you their neighbor. Because they're yours. And Jesus gets really practical here as he even continues to speak for us. Starting in verse 32, he says this, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Should you be proud because you love those who love you back? You want a reward, he says. He says, no, even sinners do that. Verse 33, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Jesus says, If we want to look like our Father, if we want to look more like God the Father, this is how we do it. 
Love your enemies. Love those who oppose you. Even the outsider, dare I say, by bringing them close and sharing with them a meal. That is a very difficult command. Some of you might be caught up on you know, Greek plays and stuff more than I am. But I've heard of one by a Greek author named Lucian who wrote a play depicting a con artist who would take advantage of Christians. He did this because of their overwhelming generosity and hospitality. And the reason he says is because they believe that they will live forever. And because they believe they'll live forever, they don't consider the things they have here as really being their own at all. And so as people need, they give freely and often by worldly standards, get taken advantage of. They get made out to be fools. Are Christians viewed that way today? Is our church considered fools for Christ, as the apostles would call themselves, because of our overwhelming generosity and our overwhelming hospitality? I believe one of the best ways that we as Christians, we as Christians here in Winsboro, can show love for our enemies, for our neighbors, for the stranger, is by setting a big table for them. Welcoming people into our homes. And it doesn't matter what you have. Use whatever you got. It could be a three-course meal, or it could be a cup of coffee, or maybe a simple dessert. Use whatever you have to bring others close. Honoring them and allowing them to see and experience the love that God has for them. The question for us this morning to ask ourselves is, how big is our table? Has it gotten smaller and smaller? As our kids have moved on? Do we not open our home to others anymore? Are we willing to bring others over that threshold to experience Christ? How well do we show hospitality? One key thing I want to point out is that no matter how big our table is, no matter how good some of us are, and believe me, some of you are good at hospitality, and I appreciate it, no matter how big and how good it is, God would like for you to make it bigger. There is always room to grow when it comes to loving your neighbor, your stranger, and certainly in loving your enemies. I know what you're thinking because I've thought it myself. We've all got objections. We've got reasons for not showing hospitality. We certainly have reasons for not setting a big table for our enemies. It's scary, it's possibly dangerous, all those things. This past week I got to go and see some of our junior high guys running a track meet. It brought back, uh, I would say memories, but really it's horror stories. But 
I got to see our, our guys run. And three of our, our kids, Aiden, Christian, and, and Brennan, who I don't think they're here this morning, but they ran really hard. And each of them, I think, won at least one event. It was really cool to see. Two of those guys actually ran their hurdles. And that was pretty fun to watch. You see all these junior high kids who are still learning how to do it. They're running and they're jumping over each hurdle. So after every so often, Hunter could probably tell you, every so often there's, there's these hurdles placed in their lane. And the only way to get past is really to jump and get over it. And that may make them real upset, but, you know, they do get over it. And these guys, not a single one, when they got to that hurdle, not a single one, I'll tell you, is the craziest thing. They got to this thing, this hurdle that was in their way, and not a single one stopped and backed up. Not a single one didn't try to jump over the hurdle. Are we willing to jump over our hurdles? Are we willing when we see the things that we know, I, I'm supposed to be there. I know that God's called me to love my neighbor. God's called me to love the stranger that I don't know. God's called me to even love my enemies. And I know that I've got a whole lot of hurdles that either I myself or others have placed in my way. Am I going to be that one person that comes and I get to that hurdle and I say, whoa, I know I should be down there, but I'm just going to hang out here. I do a lot of other good things. I'm I'm going to stay here. As Christians, we are called to get over our hurdles, and we're not called to do it alone. Ask yourself this morning, and I would challenge you to write down this morning, what is the biggest hurdle for you in showing hospitality and setting a big table for even your enemies? What's that one thing that you need help getting over? And then, we do it every week. We encourage you to join one of our elders and their wives to pray, to ask for prayers of the church in these matters. And we're going to do so this morning. You might be saying to yourself, KT, are you saying that you want me to welcome strangers into my home? and even enemies into my home, and to even not just let them in my house, but to fix a meal for them? Let me be clear. No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that God's telling you that. He's telling me it too. As Christians, we all have hurdles that we need to get over. But we also know what our goal is. Are we willing to ask God to help us get through those hurdles? So, we'd ask you to respond during our song. Whether you need prayers to get through whatever hurdles you may have, to show hospitality to others, or maybe you're here and you need to obey the gospel, we're here for that too. My challenge to you this morning is this. Don't allow those hurdles to stop you and allow you to back up 
lock the doors and keep the world out and say, I'll be just fine. But because Christ is risen, because Jesus is Lord, I am choosing to open my door, to welcome others in so they know how much I honor them and they experience the love of God. And maybe, just maybe, they'll get pulled out of a world of sin and into the light of Jesus Christ. If you would, I would ask that you stand this morning. If you're okay with it, grab a hand. I'm going to say this prayer one more time. It's kind of adapted from Rosaria Butterfield's book. And it's a prayer of courage, of open-heartedness. It's a prayer asking God for help in showing hospitality. If you have a need this morning, after we pray and as we, we sing this song, we'd love for you to come tell somebody. Ask for prayers, ask for help, whatever you need. Let's pray. Father God, shape us in such a way that we let you use our home, apartment, back porch, front yard, or even garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Help us, Father, to stop being afraid of strangers, even when some strangers are dangerous. Grow us to be more like Christ in practicing hospitality, creating a new reputation for what it means to be a Christian in a watching world. Help us to see that there's more to the Christian life than we realized, more to enjoy, more to experience, more to celebrate, and that practicing hospitality is the key to discovering those hidden treasures. Father, resurrect this practice in the American church and begin with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.